Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is John Spear. Let me tell you a little bit about this upcoming episode on the Global Medical Device Podcast. My guest was Mike Drews. You know him. You've listened to his podcast with me before. Great information always comes from these conversations that I have with Mike. This one is no exception. We talk about the connection between complaints and Kappas and MDRs, and we also start to tie in risk management and how all of these things are interrelated and how they become very important to the foundation of your company's culture as well as to your quality management system. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.Guru, John Spear. I have my friend, uh, frequent guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mike Drews from Vascular Science. Our vascular scientist, excuse me. Welcome, Mike, to the podcast this morning. Well, thank you, John. Always a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. Well, Mike, you and I have, and we've talked about a lot of things in this world of the medical device industry, things like uh, design control, verification, validation, intended use, and, and so on. And we've also talked a little bit about CAPA and complaints and MDRs and risk management and all those sorts of things. So what I thought we could do today is is talk a little bit about some topics like complaints and MDRs and CAPAs and and then try to figure out how and, and where and if and when to tie those things into this thing called risk management. I think that's a great topic, John. And uh, right. to start it off, why don't we why don't we dig into the relationship between MDRs, medical device reports, which we talked about recently, and complaints? And I'll start yeah. it off, and then I'll let you uh, to chime in. Yeah. The question is, does one lead to the other? In other words, as you and I'm sure your audience know, most of the time a complaint comes in from the field from a customer that's using one of our medical devices, uh, and that might lead to a, uh, a, a report based on it. I think that's the common scenario, but that street does run in two directions. Occasionally, and I don't know what your experience has been on this, John, but occasionally an MDR will, uh, will be filed independent of a complaint. And I think the most interesting scenario that I've seen when that happens is when a company continues to test a medical device after it's in use, after it's on on the market. As you probably know, most companies don't usually do this. But I think some companies, certainly the more prudent ones, do. And if they find a problem, uh, then they might report that prophylactically. What's been your experience, John, uh, in general? Is there a relationship between MDRs and, and complaints, and uh, does one necessarily uh, lead or, or follow the other? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I'd say my experience has been mostly, well, on all these topics, CAPA, complaint, MDR, all these sorts of things, my experiences have, have been that 
people are very reactive. So I don't, I, I haven't seen too many people go out and seek opportunities to identify MDRs. And I'm not suggesting that you do, but, but uh, the way I've seen this happen is that, as you suggest, a complaint usually comes from the field, somebody using your product in some way, shape or form, and they identify an issue. And you, the, the company usually finds out after the fact that, wow, this, this MDR has happened, this potential uh, adverse event has occurred. And, and so then they, they triage that and they, they go down the MDR path, but then they also log that into their CAPA system. And I, I don't know, and, and is, is that the right way? I don't know, maybe. I mean, it seems like we're all always so reactionary on these things. What do you think, Mike? Well, I think, I don't know that there's necessarily a right or wrong. I do think uh, when it comes to CAPA, uh, one of the things that gets a lot of companies in trouble is they sort of, they, they don't have a very specific or objective way to evaluate which complaints or which MDRs uh, necessitate, necessitate uh, a CAPA investigation. And one of the things that I always encourage companies to do, uh, and I'm sure you do this as well, John, I'm sure it's one of your best practices, is companies need to have a criteria uh, to evaluate these complaints um, or MDRs or what have you to, uh, to, to better determine under what situations that a CAPA is initiated and under what it's not. And I also take it a step further, and by the way, this is not, uh, as far as I know, John, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is not required as part of the quality system, but maybe it should. That CAPA criteria system, if you will, those parameters that will, uh, that will help the company decide when a CAPA is initiated, that should be revisited from time to time. In other words, just like a risk file, it's not supposed to be, at least in my opinion, a static document. It needs to be revisited periodically and updated or revised. The question is how frequently should it be revisited? Uh, the regulation doesn't say that either. I personally don't think the regulation should say that. I think that should be up to us as manufacturers. The short answer is it depends. It depends on how well established the technology is. In other words, if your technology is uh, very well established, if your device and similar devices have been around for a very long time uh, and we have long history of it and it's pretty well understood, then maybe you don't, do, do not need to do that very often. Maybe once a quarter, maybe once or twice a year might even suffice. On the other hand, if it's a very new technology without a, uh, a track record of success, um, especially if it's a high-risk device, um, maybe a class three, a life-sustaining or life-supporting device, then I think we have to be much more aggressive in revisiting those things. Uh, maybe once a quarter is not a month. Maybe we need to do it once. Uh, sorry, not enough. Maybe we need to do it once a week. Um, you know, so th that's up to the situation. John, what do you think about yeah. uh, uh, having criteria and, and should they be revisited? totally think that there are areas, lots of areas of improvement in this space. I mean, year after year after year, FDA shares the uh, inspectional observation data from from when they go to med device companies and, and look at the quality systems and documentation and records and so on. And, and companies year after year after year are cited for issues with CAPA and issues with complaints and issues with MDRs. I mean, these are 
these are topics that almost always are at the top of the pile as far as uh, what FDA has identified as, as major issues during inspections. And, you know, from the ISO world, those who go down the 1345 path, I, I know corrective action, preventative action, that's a big deal there as well. And, and now with ISO 13485-2016, it's, it's starting to bring in this MDR type of um, approach as well. So it's aligning even more strongly with FDA. So it doesn't use the term MDR per se, but it talks about regulatory reporting and complaint management and so on. So companies do struggle with this. And I, I think they struggle with this because they've been kind of status quo. They've you know, again, I, I'm going to mention it probably a few more times today, and you'll probably hear me in future conversations and podcasts and so on talk about this. We all react to situations. We wait for something to happen. And a lot of the, the metrics that we put in place to monitor complaints and CAPAs and so on, they're also very oftentimes lagging indicators, meaning, you know, they're kind of after the fact. So I think that we, we Mike, you know, you, you and I, you recently shared at a at an event that I was in attendance that that you're you're out to change the world you know one person at a time and and I'm with you you know so the well, one thing you, we John, do I can, I can use all the help that I can get so thank you <laughs> so, but seriously so I, let I me guess, yeah go, go ahead. ahead no I was just going to share an example of this a very very timely uh, example that I'm involved with right now and unfortunately I'm going to have to keep this incredibly vague for obvious reasons, but I'm involved with a very high-profile product liability lawsuit, and one of the things that the medical device manufacturer is being accused of is not notifying the folks here in the United States of a problem when, in fact, they knew about the problem and they did notify the EU about the problem. And um, so, you know, I would like to think that regardless of what the re regulatory or quality or ISO regulations say, that companies would do the right thing. I mean, to me, this is common sense. If you have a problem, I think that we, never mind regulatory obligations, I think we have an ethical obligation to notify people as to what is happening. I mean, after all, you know, I joke about this, you know, I say this is a, a poker game between the, the company and the FDA, and I mean that. But on the other hand, you know, this is high stakes bingo, and we are talking about people's lives here. And I do think we have to remember it's all well and good to read in the um, uh, mission statements of companies that, you know, we care about people and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, those words are right. easy to say, you know, but let's put right. our money where our mouth is. So um, uh, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge. But at the end of the day, um, we are talking about people's lives and we have mm -hmm. to at least try to do the right thing. Yeah, I, I mean... I think so many of us in in the industry, and I'm generalizing here, of course, but I think so many of us, when we, we hear these terms, CAPA and MDR and, and complaint, uh, the knee-jerk response is cringe. You know, we're like, oh, no, we can't have those things. Those are, those are bad things. We can't have a CAPA. That's a bad thing. We can't have a complaint. It's a bad thing. But what if we, you know, flip it around and looked at it from a different perspective. What if we looked at, well, it's unfortunate, sure, you know, of course, we're designing and developing and manufacturing medical devices that uh, we want to to help people. And and when something 
adverse happens, of course, that's, that's something that is, that is uh, an unfortunate event. But what if we took these things that we learn, even if it is being a little bit reactionary, but what if we took these things that we learn and we use these as opportunities and we said, aha, there's, there's something that we, we can improve about our product and use this as a learning opportunity. Well, John, I don't know. Uh, you're you're a very savvy guy. I'm sure you you realize what you just did. But for the benefit of those in the audience that don't, what you're describing, what you're applying, is one of the most fundamental tenets of the design controls, and that is the concept of feedback. Your outputs become your inputs, which, mm-hmm. by the way, does, is not unique to uh, design controls. You know, this is basic biology. You know, the concept of of feedback from from endocrinology or neurology has been happening since the beginning of life on Earth. So I think that's a, a great example, almost a, uh, a poetic example of how we should, um, you know, apply not not the not the, the 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 regulation, not the letter of the law, but the philosophy, what its what its intention is, uh, in order to try to help us uh, continue continue to improve. You know, once again, in the quality world, I hear people use phrases like continuous improvement and so on. Well, we need to take the, uh, the, 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 you know, the complaints and the MDRs and so on. And yes, you're exactly right. It is very unfortunate when something bad happens, especially when it negatively affects the outcome of a patient. There's no question about it. But let's at least learn from that to try to prevent it from happening again. And as we've talked about in one of our previous uh, discussion specifically on Kappa, I think both and uh, both of us agreed that we've gotten very good at the CA part of that equation, but not necessarily the PA, and that's very right. unfortunate. I think we can we can do better than that. Right. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I know we're uh, for the those that are staying with us. Mike and I are, are certainly uh, talking a little bit more on the philosophical realm of of maybe the way the the universe should be, <laughs> but uh, maybe we can bring it down to, to a little bit more pragmatism. You know, obviously companies are, are at a point where they're either, they've got a quality system in place and they're trying to, to triage or figure out how and what to do, you know, what goes, what should be captured as a complaint? When do I need to do an MDR? How does this feed into my capital system? So, Maybe we can bring it back into a little bit more of a, a tactical way uh, for the next few minutes and, and kind of start to talk about or figure out, is there a magic bullet or a magic answer, so to speak, as to a determination as to when a complaint or an MDR, when do I need to, to make that uh, part of my CAPA system? Do, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I do, John, and I agree 100%. Let's bring this back down to reality. It's nice to, to wax philosophically from time to time, but after all, you know, we all have jobs to do. So um, maybe as an example, we can we can drill in a little further. I would love to hear your thoughts, John, on the suggestion that I posed a few minutes ago, and that mm-hmm. is um, uh, having a criteria uh, that will help us determine uh, when uh, a complaint or an NVR or any sort of an incident um, should give rise to a kappa. Um, sure. I think it's very difficult to um, to speak in broad terms. You know, remember the medical device uh, universe is a very broad universe. We have, you know, on one end of the spectrum, band-aids and EKG monitors, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, things like implantable artificial hearts. So it's very difficult, probably impossible 
to set up a uh, you know a generic criteria. Once again, this is why I say that this should not be in the regulation. It's just it's mm-hmm. just impossible to write regulation that's that broad. But I do mm-hmm. think uh, that that each company needs to have a set of criteria. Um, and you can generate this by just having your R&D and regulatory and manufacturing folks sit in a room one afternoon and do a sort of a brainstorming session as to what the criteria should be. And if you already have a product on the market and you do have a few <clears throat> complaints or perhaps even a few MDRs, you might want to look through those and see what, you know, which ones led to a cap and so on. So you build a set of parameters and then, as I said earlier, uh, you on some regular basis, once a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, what have you, you go back and you revisit those um, right. uh, to to update and revise to make sure that you're not missing anything. And then one other uh, pragmatic suggestion, and this is going well beyond what's required in the uh, in the um, uh, even in the newest ISO standards, as I know, John. And if I'm wrong, please please correct me. Um, but probably on a yearly basis, what we should do is sit down and go through all of our complaints and uh, MDRs and so on and look to see if there's anything that we've missed. In other words, mm-hmm. one of the challenges when you're doing your job on a day-to-day basis is you don't necessarily see the forest through the trees. And one of the things that I find kind of interesting is a lot of companies this is not a criticism, but an observation, a lot of companies will miss seeing similarities where no similarities seem to exist. In other words, you might have uh, a series of complaints or even kappas that you're looking at independently. And when you look at them independent, one at a time, you you don't necessarily see that, gee, maybe there's an overall pattern. You know, engineers like to use the the phrase, the root cause. Well, maybe there's an underlying root cause or a root root cause, if you will, um, that's that's leading to all of this. So, so so those are some of the suggestions that I have, John. I'm sure you have many more, um, but yeah. uh, what do you think of those or what would you like to add? Well, uh, maybe just a slightly different perspective on that, because as you were talking, the, the gears started turning in my head. And and as you were sharing, you know, those tidbits, I was, I was thinking, you know, this is a this is a, a, a bit of a, a twist on product or program management, if you will, uh, looking at it you know, through a different lens, of course, but it's really about being holistic and looking at, at the entire product line, but maybe also uh, from a program standpoint within a company that may have multiple product lines, looking at all of your product lines. And, and let me let me give a little bit more details about what I mean there. So if you look at, uh, you know, as Mike suggests, maybe do some sort of monthly or quarterly or some sort of frequent review of a of a product line. You can look at the issues uh, of of this product over over time, over history, and you can use this as a means to track and trend different sorts of issues. I mean, it's good to monitor these things and and see, you know, if something now is off your trend line or unexpected. It starts to happen especially if you have some, some means to do so as an early indicator, early warning system, this might give you an opportunity to be somewhat more predictive or preventive in, in actions that you take. You know, for example, you may identify that there are 
and we haven't we didn't talk about nonconformances, but that might be a nice uh, lead in a, a way to be predictive. But if you start to identify certain sort of issues happening over and over and over again, it may point out that hey, maybe there is a design flaw here that that we weren't aware of. We, we thought things were good, but now the more people are starting to use this, it's there's this one feature that continually causes some sort of issue, and and maybe that needs to you know, go back and, and we need to do some, as you suggested a moment ago, some more work on the design control front. Maybe we need to um, revise our, our product in some way, or maybe it, it highlights that there's something happening on our manufacturing line that we need to be aware of. So it's really about using this data to your benefit, but you know, that's product line focused, but what if you aggregated this, this data, this information across all of your product lines, you know, you may find, as you say, that there's a common root cause across multiple different product lines and, and it might highlight or identify some additional opportunities to improve that. Well, once again, John, you raise an excellent point, um, especially for people working in uh, relatively large companies that might have many different products or in some cases <clears throat> uh, different versions of the same product. It's uh, it's sort of a riff, I think, on what I mentioned a moment ago of, again, trying to see the forest through the trees. Um, right. And to be honest with you, John, you know, we, uh, through all of our discussions, we've purposely tried to, to, you know, stay away from making commercial endorsements for specific products or anything. But one of the things that I got to point out to your audience here is when it comes to automating processes like this, uh, you know, tools like your Greenlight product um, does a wonderful job of stuff like that because, it will, um, you know, from, from the most basic level, and I know obviously your software can do much more than this, but simply putting in reminders of, uh, hey, it's that time of the month or it's that time of the quarter. Exactly. Have you revisited your CAPA criteria? Have you um, had your annual CAPA review meeting? That kind of thing. So obviously your program can do much, much more than that. But sure. uh, but that's you know a starting point, and yeah. uh, once again for larger companies that have multiple products, you might have separate engineers that are diff that are working on different products, and it can be difficult enough for the same person to see the forest through the trees sometimes. But when you now are talking about trying to see the forest through the trees through different sets of eyeballs, now it becomes even more challenging. So maybe yeah, John, we sure. should move on. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to add that, you know, even, even more than just looking at your product, that, that um, there, there's also uh, some rationale for maybe going beyond your four walls and seeing what other competitors are doing. I mean, a lot of this information is in the public domain. So, so in, in fact, even, you know, in some cases, like for technical files for Europe and things of that nature, especially as you start to do like clinical evaluations and things of that, that nature, there's an expectation that you know what the state of the art is for this type of product in the industry. So that, that may even suggest that you do your homework and see what other competitor products and what issues they're having and make sure that your product addresses those, those shortcomings of these other products. I think that's an excellent point as well. Um, uh, and you, you know, you have a, a broader perspective that on this, than I do, so I'd be curious as to hearing your experiences. But I love the idea of uh, incorporating into your 
quality system into your CAPA requirements, for example, uh, not just what's happening with your own products, but keeping an eye on your competition. If you're working in an area where uh, there are a lot of similar products, and let's be honest, in the medical device industry, we have tons and tons of Me Too's. We call them 510Ks. So uh, if you have products, uh, I'm sorry, if your competitors have products out there that are having problems, should we be looking at those on a regular basis to try to evaluate um, are those problems that could happen to us? And if so, should we, should we be prophylactic and should we try to prevent them from happening before they do? On the regulatory side, as you know, in the PMA world, for high-risk medical devices, that is a PMA requirement. Um, it is not a regulatory requirement for low and moderate risk devices. It's not a 510K or a de novo requirement. Perhaps it should be, but it is a PMA requirement. I would love to see as we think about this, we talk about this, um, maybe that added to uh, the appropriate section of the quality system regulation or <coughs> ISO or something. Um, I actually think that that's a, a pretty good idea. What do you think of that, John? Well, my for the those sharp listeners uh, paying attention to our conversation today, and, and we have a lot of sharp listeners. I, I can assure you, uh, they uh, they've picked up that you and I have been uh, dancing or talking about risk management the whole time, you know, and and I think that that's uh, would be a nice way to to maybe kind of try to put a big wrapper on this conversation today, so to speak, and. And you and I have talked about you shared your your uh, bucket approach to risk management, and a lot of the things that you and I are talking about today certainly fit into the Mike Drews uh, bucket approach. By the way, do you have uh, a trademark on the Mike Drews bucket <laughs> approach to risk management? Not, it's not a registered trademark yet, John. Maybe I need to file <laughs> something with the Patent and Trademark Office pretty soon on that. <laughs> But, but let's let's kind of bring it home and 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 you know put the risk management umbrella or wrapper, if you will, uh, on this conversation because you know like I said we've been we've been really talking about risk the whole time. We have. So that's a great question. And and by the way, for the benefit of your audience, um, I do have a webinar coming up that I'll be doing. Uh, hosted Absolutely. by your company. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do that um, on uh, my, as John calls it, my bucket approach. And uh, maybe we can put a link from this podcast to that so the audience, uh, people that are for interested, sure. they can hear. Sure. Uh, but uh, one thing I thought I would start to uh, to remind people when we talk about risk and linking it to what we've been talking about today is please notice that we're talking about risk management we are not talking about risk elimination, and there's a big difference. Uh, you know, one thing that I learned as an engineer, and I'm sure you know this, John, is, uh, is, is that no product is perfect. And uh, all products, regardless of how diligent and careful we are, all, pro all products are going to have problems from, from time to time. Sometimes we can anticipate them, sometimes we cannot. And so the point is that we can never completely eliminate risk. Um, after all, you know, if you when you get out of bed in the morning, um, there's a there's a chance that uh, you might you know cross the street and get hit by a bus. Does that mean that you don't get out of bed? You know, so obviously certain certain um, risks we can try to mitigate, assuming that we know about them. 
But there are other risks that we don't know about. And this is why um, I think all of the stuff that we've been talking about, not just today, but I think in all of our discussions in general, we have to take a more holistic approach. We have to try to think how does risk relate to complaints, relate to CAPAs, relate to recalls, relate to um, uh, design controls and quality system. Uh, it's kind of, you know, coming from a medical background myself, I often use the body is a is a metaphor. There's no tissue in the body that's totally independent of everything else. All of the tissues in your bodies are in constant communication with everything else. And that's what, uh, you know, quality and regulation should be. We shouldn't be focusing just on kappa, just on complaints, just on MDRs, what have you. Um, we have to we have to uh, look for the relationships between the two. So we can manage risk. We can, in many ways, mitigate risk, um, but we can never eliminate it. Um, and what it really comes down to is one of the most fundamental questions of all of regulatory science, and that is, what is safety? How safe is safe? And for the engineers in the audience, how much testing is enough? Um, these are not simple questions, but uh, but 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 we we have to think about those from time to time. And whether we're coming to the FDA in terms of a product submission, or whether we're manufacturing a product and we're talking about you know consistency or reliability or something like that, fundamentally, I think all of these issues are the same. It all comes down to it all comes back around to risk. Right. It, it most certainly does. And, uh, you know, it's, I think so many people, I, they, I think that you're right. I think they, they set out to think, you know, hey, we can eliminate risk from the equation. But that's, folks, that's just not, that's not your objective. That's why having a sound, solid risk management process is important. And, you know, Mike and, and I talked a little bit in this podcast about being able to, from time to time, assess and evaluate what's happening. And and risk is really that that lens or a lens that you can use to look at the situation. You can use the risk management lens, so to speak, to try to anticipate what you think might happen based on experiences, both, you know, ahead of time, but then once, you know, that product goes live and is, is in use, then being able to use this information that you're learning from your complaints that happen. And, and folks, complaints are going to happen, except that this is a reality. It's, it's okay. I promise you it's okay. It just, it's what you do with the complaint that, that becomes important. Uh, don't uh, try to make a device that's going to be complaint-free. Um, complaint is, is like risk. You know, you're not going to eliminate it from the equation. But you, we, we can't things. eliminate it. We have to deal with it. We have to have, we have a to process deal exactly. to deal with it. And we exactly. have to update that process from time to time. And exactly. uh, that, I think, is the, is the most important. And the last thing that I wanted to share, and then I think we need to wrap this up, John, is it's becoming more and more my experience. Uh, and, John, you might agree or disagree. As I, as I talk to more and more people in this industry, um, you know, I've been playing this game now for about 25 years. Unfortunately, they are approaching the whole area of regulation or quality or risk management or what have you as really nothing more than a series of tick boxes on a form, uh, check box yeah. on, a, on a form. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe you or some others might disagree. 
I think that's, quite frankly, very dangerous. That's not the intent of this whole process, just to simply tick off these, these boxes. You know, there's an adage that we use in medicine frequently, and that is the surgery went perfectly, but the patient died anyway. Well, the right. medical device engineering equivalent of that is that we designed the medical device perfectly, but the patient died anyway. The regulatory right. equivalent of that is we followed the regulation perfectly. We did all that FDA or Health Canada or whoever asked us to do, and yet the patient died anyway. Unfortunately, uh, these things happen more frequently than, than some people might like to admit. And I'll give you one quick example. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the uh, tools that are available in uh, for risk management now, like, like uh, you know, the green light tool. Uh, it's a wonderful tool, but like any tool, uh, the safety and efficacy of that uh, comes down to the skill level of the user. And I had a conversation with somebody just recently, a few weeks ago, who was looking to automate many of their processes, including the risk management, and they were trying to make a decision as to which tool to go with, because obviously there are several to choose from. Um, and I started to ask them so what I thought were some pretty basic questions about risk. And quite frankly, they had a difficult time answering them. And I said, look, you're welcome to use whatever tool you want. I'm happy to give you some recommendations, but this is not necessarily going to solve your problem. You need some help on what that tool is going to be doing for you. Um, it's kind of like a scalpel. You know, if I put a scalpel in the hands of a skilled surgeon, you know, they can get, you know, wonderful results. If you take the same scalpel and put, them in, put it in my hands, you know, probably not so good results. So... <laughs> Yeah, so, I'm not uh, going to let you operate on me, so don't worry, Mike. Exactly, exactly. So uh, perhaps, you know, one of the takeaways from our discussion today is, yes, ticking off the boxes on the form are important so that when you have an auditor come in, you can show them, yes, we did this, yes, we did that. But it's not just simply a series of checkboxes on a form. It's got to be more than that. Yeah, it's it's uh, just hearing that reminds me of, of some conversations that, that uh, we've been having at Greenlight and some of the people that we've been talking to. And it really gets down to what is the company's culture or attitude when it comes to quality and regulatory. And, and I think that's very important. If your mentality is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to check a box and throw it over the wall and, and send, send this down the line, so to speak, uh, you kind of have the wrong attitude. Uh, when it comes, you definitely have the wrong attitude when it comes to quality and regulatory. Mike, you, you, you said another thing a few moments ago that I jotted down that about, you know, a tissue not, and, and when you look at it from a body perspective, there's no tissue that can be independent of another. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, right. you know, if you think about your, your uh, company or your mentality or your approach to quality and regulatory as, as a body, so to speak, all of these things are connected. You cannot separate one from the other. You have to be able to to show and demonstrate and live and believe that all of these things are that you're doing, complaint management, CAPA management, MDRs, risk management, design controls, and so on and so on and so forth, that all of these things are intended to make your body better and and I think, Mike, uh, let's leave that as, as the, the final word today. As, as you mentioned, you've got a webinar that we're doing with you, or you're doing for us, rather, uh, here in, soon. And, and it's on the topic of, of the risk management. Yes, we will absolutely share that with, with everyone. 
listening. And uh, Mike, as always, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. Well, thank you, John. And the very last thing to just remind your audience is, um, and I've said this before, but it, I think it, it wraps up our comments today. When a company gets a uh, 510K clearance, when they get a PMA approval, when they get a CE mark, when they get ISO blah, blah, blah certified, that is in the academic equivalent of being a C student. That does not mean that you're doing a good job. That simply means that you're passing. And yeah. I think as an industry, we can do more. Um, we need yeah. to set the bar higher. Thank you, yeah. John, as always, for the opportunity to, uh, uh, to be part of your discussions. Um, and I look forward to speaking again in the future. All right. Thank you, Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to make your QMS system, your body, uh, healthy and whole again, <laughs> reach out to the folks at Greenlight Dr. Guru. We'd be happy to talk to you about how you can do that. And all you have to do is go to greenlight.guru and request more information and reach out and we'll happily have a conversation with you to see if there's an opportunity that, that we can help you uh, address those situations. Again, this is John Spear, your host, the founder and VP of quality and regulatory at greenlight.guru, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.